Home games, he would hit them out into what's known as McCovey Cove, named for Willie McCovey, a Hall of Famer from the Giants. He would hit them out of the stadium, and they would land in the water, and all these fools out there would scramble. I, I didn't show you the one clip from the guy who was, who Bonds hits one out there, and this guy goes running, literally and dives, jumps off the pier and lands in the water 20 feet below, swims and gets the ball. And, and so, uh, anyway, paid, paid, paid for his ticket and everything, I guess. So, anyway, he left the stadium. I don't think they probably let him back in at that point. But, but And then the last one, of course, was hit at Old Yankee Stadium, and he, and he hits it, as the announcer says, to New Jersey. And so, Bonds, during the time when he was producing those numbers, was, in my opinion, the ultimate hitter in baseball. So many of you now are thinking, now wait a minute, Bonds was on steroids when he's doing all this. The evidence is pretty clear that Bonds took something called the clear, and it was a steroid that was untraceable. And he also took something called the cream, and he probably took a lot of human growth hormone and so on. I don't don't agree or, or condone any of that. And at the same time, what he was able to do from age 36 to age 42 in the game of baseball was unparalleled in history. And what he was able to do was to combine the wisdom of age with the ability of youth. Bonds at 36 and 37 and 38, putting up the numbers that he did, came from the mind that understood the game so well and what pitchers were going to do and what pitch they were going to throw and so on with a body that was still about 22 years old because of what he took. And so he was able to produce what we get to see is, oh, wow, that's what it would look like if somebody had the wisdom of age and the ability of youth and they put it all together and hit the baseball 800 feet. That's what it looks like. Bonds, of course, took things that at the time were not illegal, but we know it was cheating and at the same time still tremendously impressive. Now, when I read the Bible... I look and see that our spiritual lives are to be just like Barry Bonds was late in his career. Getting better the further we go along in the game, if you will. Better year after year after year after year with no decline and continuing to be infused with what helps us stay young in our walks with Jesus. The wisdom of age, the excitement of youth as we get older and further down the road with our Lord. The great thing is we don't have to take anything illegal to make it happen. We don't have to fill our bodies with human growth hormone to make it happen, to continue to get better as we age with Jesus. Because our spiritual steroid, if you will, is free. And it's perfectly legal and it's called faith. And I'm convinced that many of us today, myself included, probably need to take that steroid. Can't condone any of the other steroids, but the steroid of faith I can condone. The spiritual steroid that we inject into our spiritual lives of faith is one that we need to take this morning. We need to have our spiritual lives juiced up, if you will, by a new injection of faith. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And I want you to look with me first at verse 4. We're going to look primarily today at the first four verses of Genesis 12, but I want you to focus in for just a second on verse 4. We're in a series, if you're just catching up with us, while you're getting to that scripture, kind of fill you in. We're in a series called Bible Stories You Thought You Knew. 
And it's a year-long series. We started in January, and we're going to go all the way through December looking at some of the old Sunday school stories, some of the old Bible stories that maybe you knew when you were a kid, if you went to Sunday school, or if you're not a church person historically, didn't go to Sunday school or something, maybe it's a story that you've heard or a name that you know is, well, I know that person is in the Bible or whatever. And so we're looking at what is it about these stories that really God wants us to know, and, and, and along with that, how do they connect to the overall story of Scripture? Understand that each Bible story that you read is not an individual episode, it's kind of a standalone show. You know how Seinfeld was every episode about nothing? It was a show about nothing, so they didn't connect. There was no real connect. That's not the way the Bible stories work. They are all connected in God's overall story, and they all point to or lead from the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we've been looking at. How do these things connect? So we're going to look at one this morning about a guy whose name at the time was Abram, who later became Abraham, the father of nations. And we get really the very beginning of his story. If you look with me in verse 4, of chapter 12 in Genesis. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He was 75 when he first began to walk with God. 75 years old. And for the next 40 some odd years, he walked with God every day of his life. Was he perfect? No, by no means. You read his story and some of you in the Bible reading plan have gotten through Abraham story and you realize this guy was pretty messed up, but he was a guy that walked with God. Then I want you to flip from Genesis 12 to Genesis 25. So turn to the right just a little bit. So that's when he began to walk with God. And then look at Genesis chapter 25 verses 7 and 8. The length of Abraham's life, 175 years, I said 40 some odd years, 100 years that he walked with God. Uh, He took his last breath and died at a ripe old age, old and contented, and he was gathered to his people. Old and contented. Some of your versions say satisfied with life. This guy, for the rest of his life, when he began to walk with God, he was constantly getting better. Constantly walking in greater faith with the Lord. Satisfied with life. Still sharp spiritually when he died. He walked with God from the very first time when God introduced himself until the day that he died. He was always moving forward with the Lord. Now let's examine ourselves for just a second. Let's look inside and you take a peek inside your own heart and mind and ask yourself, how's your faith right now? And I don't mean faith in faith. I'm just believing that good things are going to happen. You can believe good things are going to happen all day long. And odds are you're going to get a few and not a few. That's just the way it goes. I'm talking about how's your faith truly in Jesus Christ, in the God of all eternity? How is your faith? How's your walk with God? Ask yourself this morning. Evaluate. Take a a mental snapshot, if you will, a heart selfie, and look at yourself. How is my walk with God? Is it improving the longer that I go? Or have I sort of run into kind of a wall? When I evaluate myself and, and, and kind of think about this, I see two types of Christian faith. Uh, and that's kind of what we'll look at this morning, this contrast that I think we see early on here from the story of Abraham. Uh, and and we'll, we'll contrast that with, uh, with what real faith should look like. But two different types of faith. The first kind of faith that I see uh, in many Christians, and we, we see the potential for Abraham to, to have it here, is stale faith. Two different types of faith. There's stale faith, and I'll just give you the other one already. Can you guess what it is? It's fresh. Man, you guys are so good. You're so smart. The smartest church in western Kentucky. 
We have this, well, how about this? We have the smartest Baptist church in Elm Grove. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> some of you didn't pick up on that, which just proves the point. Anyway, um, <clears throat> sorry. All right, so stale faith. Here's, here's kind of what stale faith looks like. Just making sure you're awake. Here's what stale faith looks like. You have no life. No fire inside of you. No goals spiritually. Here's what I want to accomplish. Here's what I want to see God do in my life. I'm not talking about name it and claim it and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about, you know what? I've got something in me that says I'm still excited about what God is doing in my life. Because God is alive and I know he's made me alive. When you have stale faith, you don't have much of that. You just kind of wander around spiritually. And it's kind of a boring expression of faith. And you may say, well, it's just a dignified expression. No, it's not. It's boring. It's boring. And you're bored with your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a very rigid, it has to be this way or I will not worship the Lord. Which is also, by the way, idolatry. That's just the way it is. It's a rigid faith. The Beatitudes are gone. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. With stale faith, that stuff goes out the window and we're just taking up space. The fruit of the Spirit are gone. When Paul wrote about it in Galatians 5, he said, if, if Jesus lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, here's what's going to happen. You're going to see love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How are you doing with that? Is your faith still sharp? Or is it kind of stale? Your prayer life will be affected as well when your faith is stale. You might if you say a few words and go through your ritual and say your same old prayer that you always say before a meal or whatever it may be before you go to bed. But there's no looking forward to talking with God. There's no, God, meet with me here. God, I need to unload some things. Lord, I want you to speak with me. Your prayer life will be stale. And you'll also really not care if lost people come to know Jesus. Well, they've made their bed, they can lie in it. I don't care about them. I just care about me. In fact, you'll probably have some excitement and some zeal for things that that aren't of Jesus. And especially we see this in the church. We get real fired up about stuff that has nothing to do with anything spiritually affecting the church. You know, I, I, I understand we have things that we must do and bills that we must pay and so on. But you know what does not excite me whatsoever? Bills to pay in the church. I don't get fired up about that. I really don't. I hope that we got enough money to take care of it. And if we don't, then pass the plate again, I guess. I don't know what we do. But, but you, know, I, you know what I get fired up about, though? What I get excited about is when I see people who are interested in seeing what God can do in their lives. And I see people who are saying, you know what? I don't know what God wants me to do, but here I am. I'm going to listen. I see people take a step of faith and I see people say, you know what, I get excited about what God is doing. Sometimes we lose that, don't we? We focus on all the other things that take our attention and what God wants to do in and through individual Christians in the church kind of goes to the back burner. And we have some stale faith. In Genesis 12, God calls Abram out of his current state of faith into something different. Whether his current state of faith was stale or just non-existent, God calls him into something totally different. And look at it in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, I'm back in chapter 12 now, Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house. Now stop there. What you're going to see in this this three-tiered progression here is what can 
be evidence of stale faith. Here's what can hold you back. When stale faith takes hold, these are likely some things that are going on that you say, all right, I've got to plow through this. I've got to get over this. Here's what it is. Number one is security. Stale faith is first, I think, built on some security. What does he say to him first? Go out from your land. That's all he had ever known. Uh, People didn't move around back then. They stayed in one place. And if they did move, then kind of everybody moved with them. God shows up and says, Abram, I want you to leave your land, your security, all you've ever known, where your money is, where your history is, where your future is, where your comfort is. Abram, it's time to leave all of those things. God called him to leave it all behind. Now, it's amazing to see what our desire for comfort and security will do to our faith. It'll kill it. It will mute our faith. We, we want things in our lives, don't we, to be controllable and predictable and stable. I'd like everything to be exactly the way I want it and to go exactly the way I know it's going to go and to never change. Anybody else struggle with that as you get older? I just kind of like things the way that I like them. I get real preferential the older that I've got. And I like to think I'm not quite yet old, but I, I'm, I'm seeing some of that. You ever see the old person in you? If you're married, your spouse ever tell you, you're going to be a terrible old person to deal with. <laughs> not that that's ever happened to me, but you, ever, you know what I'm saying? Now, we like it to be controllable, don't we, and predictable and stable. And we like our faith and our Christian experience to be the same way, our church experience to be the same way. But guess what? Faith in Jesus is not controllable, and it's not predictable, and it's not entirely stable in the sense that we want it to be stable, because whose terms is it on? His. And he doesn't operate on our timetable, does he? And he doesn't operate based on what brings us security. He says, trust me. And sometimes that doesn't make us feel totally secure. This feeling of of looking for security doesn't just happen as you get older. It can happen if you've walked with God for a long time and you kind of settle in. Or maybe you've gotten to the point where you say, God, life has been so crazy, you owe me a little security now, okay? Take it easy on me. It can happen when you think faith is one thing and it's really something else. Regardless, I I really believe that for some of us today, our desire for security, for things to be under our control and to make us feel good, that can be a reason why our faith can go stale. God has not called us to security, but to trust him. Jesus prayed for his disciples. He said, Lord, Heavenly Father, don't take them out of the world, but protect them in the world. He didn't pray for their security. That would have been take them out of the world. He prayed that God would help them to know how to trust him, that God would protect them, but to trust God. The second thing that stale faith can be built on that Abram was called to leave is tradition. He says, go out from your land, and then he says, your relatives. Or in other versions, go out from your people. And this is not his immediate family. This is sort of the the folks he's connected to. His tribe, if you will. The, the, the people that he's comfortable around. The folks who do things the way that he does. The way things have always been around him, God says, go away from that. The level of faith of those around you, Abraham, go beyond that. You know, it's, it's an odd thing really to truly walk with God. I mean, it's very different. Most people don't do it. 
I was reminded of that last night in a conversation that most people, even people who would claim to be Christians and even people who would take up every Sunday in a church, many of them do not walk truly in faith with Jesus. I think many of us just prefer the appearance of faith rather than walking in it. Uh, when, when I first came here, there was a guy named Jim Simmons who was the interim pastor here. And many of you know Jim from, from that time, and you've seen him since then. Jim pastored Memorial Baptist Church for about 20 years, and he's been in this area for a long, long time. And he sat me down at lunch, and he told me a few things. And he said, Elm Grove's a wonderful place. That's what he wanted me to know first. He said, but let me tell you about spirituality in western Kentucky as a whole. He wasn't talking about Elm Grove. He was talking about Western Kentucky as a whole. He said there's a lot of false religion in Western Kentucky. He said, I've been here long enough to know that some people are just faking it. And they're just going on their traditions and that's all they do. And they just show up at the right times and it doesn't mean anything to them. And you know what I've found, unfortunately? He's right. And you know what I've seen in myself? Sometimes, unfortunately, he's right. Sometimes we just like things the way they are. And we don't rise above the level of faith of our people and what our area will, will do. We like our traditions the way that our people do things. You know the famous last words of a Southern Baptist church? We've never done it that way before. <laughs> famous last words. But we like our traditions, don't we? We like things the way that they are. Now, we can build on the past, and we have a tremendous history here at Elm Grove. God has done some amazing things. We can build on the past, but we can't live in it. God is alive today. And God wants to do something today in your life and in our church. Not just the memory of yesterday, but today God wants to do something. Abram was called to leave the way that his people had done things and to move on with God. Thirdly, something that can hold you back and keep your faith stale. This one's a tough one, I'll just tell you. It's family. He says, go out from your land, there's your security. Go out from your relatives, there's your tradition. And your father's house, there's your family. Literally, his nuclear family, the people that he lived with, the folks that he had grown up with, God said, Abram, it's time to move on from that. And physically, literally, it was time for Abram to move on from that. This was far from the norm. People didn't do this. Abraham, by staying where he was, was carrying on his family and his father's legacy and his name and their fortune. Family was a very powerful thing back then, and of course it still is. You think about your own family's spiritual background and their spiritual expression. Maybe for some it was Sunday only. And your parents took you to church and they made you behave on Sunday. And boy, they'd whip you out of that vestibule if you didn't behave on Sunday. And then guess what? The other six days of the week for some families, maybe it didn't matter what you did. And you're confused spiritually. Let me tell you this. God has called you to rise above where your family was if it was a Sunday only thing. Because God cares about what you do the other six days of the week too. Sometimes our families can hold us back from being the people that God wants us to be. Sometimes they can propel us on, but sometimes they can hold us back. Do me a favor this morning. Kind of play along with me, if you will. I want you to raise your right hand if you have a family member of some kind here at church today. Just raise your right hand. If you got any kind of family, all right? I mean, you're probably sitting next to them in some cases. 
Okay? Or way apart from them. I don't know. Okay? Keep, keep that hand up. Okay? We got Okay. Now, I want you, with that hand up, I want you to, to raise your left hand and keep it up. If you have somebody here at church that you would call a friend, in addition maybe to your family. Okay? Hopefully, you know, somebody's like, oh, I don't know. Okay. Now, with both of those hands up, I want you to answer a question for me. A very simple question. No trick question. This is a Bible trivia question that you should be able to get, even if you're not a church person. Who does the Bible say is the Son of God? What is his name? Jesus. Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, I want you to know that there are friends and family here at church who have seen you lift your hands and say the name of Jesus. And for some of you, you're scared to death what your family's going to think if you truly worship the Lord and speak about the name of Jesus. You just did it. You see how I got you right there? That's pretty good. You're wondering, what on earth? What does that even mean? What is he doing? So the next time that you say the name of Jesus around your family, guess what? They already heard it. They're used to you saying it by now. You can talk about Jesus at home, at lunch, whenever. They've already heard you say it. The next time that you're worshiping the Lord and you say, you know what, God, I, I, I love you and I surrender and I worship you today. I'm going to lift my hands as a sign of surrender to you, a sign of worship. They've already seen you do it. They're totally used to it. In fact, they'll wonder why you're not next time. Isn't it interesting how sometimes our families and our close friends can kind of keep us at a spiritual level when we know God is calling us beyond that, whatever it may be, to truly worship the Lord or to speak the name of Jesus? Well, I don't know. You have those odd gatherings at Christmas with those relatives. You don't know if you're supposed to talk about Jesus or not. Guess what? You've already done it. Sometimes it, it is time for us to go beyond where our families have led us spiritually and to say, you know what, God, I got to own my faith. And Lord, I want to walk with you. I was blessed to grow up in a great Christian home. And so I, I didn't face the time when I needed to just move beyond my family spiritually. But I did face the time when it came when God called me into ministry, into being a pastor. And guess what? You know how many pastors had been in my family before? Zero. Not a single one. Didn't grow up in a pastor's home. Didn't know what that was like. Didn't understand it in any way. And when I went into ministry, I went into ministry at my home church. Everything was perfect. I was never going to leave. There was going to be the youth pastor till I was 115 years old. That's what I was going to be. We'd have an old youth group at that time. I was going to be the youth pastor. That's what I was doing. My dream come true in ministry. And four years later, God called us to leave. We had to leave everything. We left our family. And we went to Atlanta. And a year later, God called us to leave that. We're just making friends. And then thankfully, God led us back to a familiar place and here we still are. And so I, I but I understand when it's time to say, you know what, God, I got to go beyond where my family has been. For some of your family's holding you back. And that doesn't mean you don't like them. But that means you got to own your faith and say, Lord, I will take a step with you, even if nobody else in my family does. God, I will obey you. I will follow you no matter what. Young people, I don't know what level of spirituality and true faith in Jesus your folks have or your grandparents have, but you got to own your faith. And you got to walk with God the way He calls you to walk with God. Not the way that mom and dad just tell you to walk with God. You listen to God. And if mom and dad are right, praise God for parents that are right biblically. But if they're not, then you walk with God. 
And you do what God wants you to do. Don't let your family hold you back from walking by faith in Jesus. And families, listen, don't hold our kids back and our family members back from walking by faith in Jesus. And that is really hard. i got four kids living in my house. From 14 to, to 7. And I really want to say, you know what, no matter what God calls you to do, you make sure that scripturally it lines up with His will and you go and do it. And you know what, that's also the hardest thing to say. Because you know why? Because they might leave one day. I kind of like my kids around. And I kind of want my grandkids to be around one day, but they might leave one day. But you know what my responsibility is before the Lord is to say, you go walk with Jesus. Don't worry about me. You go walk with Him. And one day I'm going to be face to face with that decision. And if the Lord still has me here and I'm alive and breathing and cognizant of what's going on, you come and you remind me. You remember that sermon you preached? Now let your kids walk with Jesus, whatever He calls them to do. Do you see those three things, how they can make your faith stale? How our desire for security or our traditions and even our families can be something that holds our faith back. And then you've got the other side, which is fresh faith. Look at it in verse 1. Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Three things Abram is called to. Fresh faith includes the unknown. If you're in Genesis chapter 12, turn over to the New Testament, toward the end of it, to Hebrews chapter 11. We get a little bit more information on faith and on Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far, turn back to the left just a little bit. If you get to James, you're closing in on it. Keep going to the left just a tad. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 puts it this way. In verse 1, Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. It is a walk into the unknown, if you will. Not the unknown that God is unknowable, but the unknown of I don't know where this will lead next. I will simply take the next step of faith. And in fact, for Abraham, look at it in verse 8 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. And look at this in verse 8. He went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where it was going to lead. Where did God say to go? To the land I will show you. Where is that? I'll show you when we get there. This morning when I left my house and and drove to church, about 7 o'clock, and there was a dense fog advisory. And they were right. Because there was also dense fog. And I drove from our house down the road here, and I come to church and whatever, and I couldn't see very far in front of me at all. Fog is amazing to me how the clouds will just settle. It's really, really impressive to see. And so I'm driving to church, and I can't see in front of me. I could have waited until the fog lifted, and I would have waited for two hours, and I would have been late for when I needed to get here. 
because the fog wasn't totally gone until right about 9 o'clock. I just had to drive on, trusting that what I couldn't see would still lead me to where I needed to go. I'd been down this road, I don't know how many times now, in nine and a half years. I don't know how many times I've driven on Highway 94. But I just had to trust, you know what, Highway 94 is going to be there when I just keep on driving. And I think faith is the same way. It is a walk into the unknown, but I trust that God will be there where he calls me. He will be there with me. And I wonder, this morning, would you simply say to the Lord, God, I'll just take whatever the next step is. I can't know everything, I know, but I will take the next step. Because if we're looking for all the answers, we'll never walk with Jesus. Ever. Go to where I will show you. It's not random, but God doesn't unveil it all and lay it all out for us. A life of faith in Jesus will be one step at a time. In John chapter 6, you want to write down the reference, John six twenty nine. Folks are coming to Jesus and they basically kind of saying, how can we do this great work of God that you're doing? How can we do these miracles and so on? I mean, we want to do the work of God. And Jesus in response is so perfect and so Jesus. He responds and he says, here's the work of God. You want to do what God wants you to do. Do you know what he says? Believe on the one he has sent. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus would say the real will of God for your life is not what you do for a living or how impressive you can be, but do you believe in the one, that is Jesus, that God the Father has sent? It is a walk into the unknown to believe in Jesus. Secondly, faith involves the intangible. The intangible. That means you can't touch it. You can't hold it in your hands all the time. You can't control it. Get your mind around it. Make it stable and predictable. You can't do those things with it. Abram is told, I will make you into a great nation. You know what the problem with that was? Dude was 75 years old, had zero kids. No kids, 75. That's a problem. I will make you into a great nation. You got no kids. You will have descendants as numerous as the stars. God, I ain't even got one. What are you talking about? And it wasn't as if he was just young and, you know, maybe things hadn't quite worked out yet and eventually maybe they'd get pregnant or whatever. Dude, 75 years old. And back then, 75 was still 75. I mean, imagine, okay, I won't make you raise your hands if you're 75 or above, but imagine the shock in our church If one of our ladies walks in at around 75 years old and announces, I'm pregnant. (laughs) Okay, we'll take you to, you know, the place where they deal with people like you. You know, I mean, that's that's where we'll take you now, okay? God said, I will make you into a great nation, but Abram had nothing to hold, hold his arms around. He had no kids and no prospects for kids. All they had was the call and the promise, the word of God. That's all they had. 
And that's what they went on through their ups and downs of faith. But they continued to hold on to the word of God. And God would reiterate it over and over and over and say, no, you don't understand. You will have kids. It will come from you, not some adopted kid. It will come from you, literally from you. Not from from this relationship over here and that one over here. Abram and Sarah, you all will have a kid. They couldn't understand it. They figured by that point, there's no way we can have kids. Let's have a kid through this. Let's have a kid through this. Let's adopt a nation of kids. We don't know what to do, but God said, from you. It was intangible. The life of faith that God calls us to will be just like that. Intangible. Maybe God has promised you something. You see in His Word. It will be intangible. You may not see how it's going to work out. For them, it was, how are we going to have children? We don't know. God said, I'll perform a miracle. Hebrews chapter 11, if you're still there, you want to write it back down or whatever. Hebrews 11 says this in verse 11, By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was barren, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. And therefore from one man, in fact, one man, look at this, the Bible says about Abram at 75 years years old, from one as good as dead. Isn't that great? Sorry if you're 75. Came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. And then verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, and this is in Genesis 22, offered up Isaac, that was his firstborn, or the the firstborn of of Sarah anyway, who he had received, who had, uh, he who had received the promises uh, was offering up his unique son, about whom it had been said, in Isaac your seed will be called. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead, from which he also got him back as an illustration. God, I don't understand. You say this is going to be a nation of uh, people. They're going to come for me. Here's Isaac, the one that you've given me, and now you tell me to go sacrifice him in Genesis 22. And you know what Abram had learned to do? To believe and to have faith. Even if God said and God destroyed this child, that he could raise up Isaac from the dead. He had the word of God, Abram did, but nothing else. And he trusted the word of God. Of God. Sometimes that's all that you'll have. Thirdly, fresh faith will be indefinite. He tells Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis, You will be a blessing. And all the descendants on earth will be blessed because of you. All the peoples on earth will be blessed because of you. This is an indefinite thing. Abram, by the way, was not going on vacation as if he'll just take a break and come back and okay, everything's going to be fine. We come back to our people and whatever. That was a nice faith trip, wasn't it? You know, that's cool. This was forever. Every day for the rest of his life. Leave, God said, and walk with me. How long? Every day for the rest of your life. Through the great times. Through the impossible times. Every day for the rest of your life. He's 75 years old when he gets started. And guess what? Do you know what Abram never saw? Descendants as numerous as the stars or the sand on the shore. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, it puts it this way. These, talking about these people of great faith, all died in faith without having received the promises. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. They never saw the fulfillment. It was an indefinite thing. They just walked with God, obeying His word, trusting in in the Lord every day for the rest of their lives even if they didn't see everything come to fruition. But guess what happened later on? Abram gets descendants as numerous as the stars. That was his legacy. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and we'll close with this. The writer talking about faith and listing all these people, and we've seen the great example of Abraham, and he says this about faith. Now, faith, now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This morning, it is not about you trying to impress God with your good behavior or the Bible verses that you know or the things that you understand or about convincing people around you that we're good Christians. It's about whether or not we trust God. You want to say, well, man, I want my life to please God. I'm kind of here today because I, you know, something's going on. I really want to please God. Without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. You can do all the good things in the world, but your good will never outweigh the bad. The only thing that outweighs the bad is faith in Jesus that conquers and cancels your sin. Let me encourage you to always... Be just getting started with Jesus. Every day for the rest of your life, answer the call with faith. Answer the call of Jesus, whose life made up for yours, whose death was died in your place, and whose resurrection gives you promise of eternal life. Always be just getting started with Jesus. Let's pray together.